Okay, friends. Uh, so, boy, what a what a uh, just what a pleasure that is to worship with all of you this morning. And isn't that great? Where those great old songs? I think uh, Ra- Rachel picked the, the songs for this week, and it just so happens. I just noticed the theme of all of those songs. Do you notice the theme of prayer and coming to Christ in prayer in those songs? Um, that's uh, a strange, I don't, I think it was a coincidence that we didn't plan it. I didn't let you, it was very intentional <laughs> on Rachel's part. Very intentional. Um, that's, uh, that's the topic for today, actually, for our, our scripture passage. And the sermon today is on uh, prayer. But just, wow, those songs. Um, something about those, those old, um, the old hymns just speak to me. And I don't know, maybe I'm just getting older or something. I don't know, but... Um, I love it, and hopefully you were blessed by it too. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. That will be one of a couple of passages we'll go to today. Um, Acts chapter 2. And our scripture reading will be our same scripture reading, basically, that we've had for the last uh, several weeks. As we're in our series, Who We Are, this is the teaching on the the doctrine of of the church and what the church should be and do. Um, We're looking at the practices of the church, and pretty soon here in the next couple weeks, we'll look at um, the purpose of the church, the power of the church, pictures, the metaphors of pictures in the Bible of the church, and all with the goal of helping us to understand how we best can be um, God's people. And so we've looked at um, the church being devoted to one another. They devoted themselves, and this is what we'll read in our passage today, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles' And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the reading of God's word. And let's pray. God, we would... Pray now, having heard your word, a passage that's very familiar to us, but yet has newness and depth that we can constantly be learning from. It's your word that's living and active, and may your word um, penetrate into our hearts, in our minds, and into our souls, so that it would cause us to give you all the glory that is due your name. In the name of your son, Jesus, we, God, we ask that you'd help us to do that this morning in Christ's mighty name. Amen. So as we said, we were looking at the church and the practices of the early church, and we spent several weeks in this, this passage, and we saw that the church is devoted. The characteristics of the church is that they were devoted. They were devoted to the scripture, the apostles teaching. They were devoted to one another. We saw the word fellowship or the koinonia, 
They were devoted to generosity. Selling possessions, belongings, distributing things to those who had had need. They were generous and giving and devoted to that. And they were devoted, as we saw last week, to the Lord's Supper, to the breaking of bread. Which was a large fellowship feast, but which had the Lord's Supper that the Lord had ordained and given for his people. We saw that last week. They were devoted to these things. And lastly, they were devoted to prayer. And that's the topic for us this morning. Notice again, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And as we have here in the ESV, to the prayers. The prayers. So I think it's more than just prayer in general. It has in the Greek this definite article, the, and the plural prayers. Some translations just kind of take it as a generic. They were devoted to prayer like the NIV does. And uh, I suppose that's true and that's fine. Um, uh, The ESV is a little more specific here, capturing that. the, The prayers, the regular and appointed times of prayer, especially, I think in this context means especially the collective gathering of God's people for prayer. Prayer being an essential part of Christian discipleship. Prayer is essential to Christian uh, worship. Along with the scriptures, along with the Lord's Supper, prayer is fundamental to God's people gathering together. It's one of the two main things that the shepherds of the church are to give themselves to, to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's kind of a humbling thing for me to think about that um, at least 50% of my occupation is is prayer or should be prayer. I'm working to make that uh, my, the actuality in my life to come close to, to that number. So this morning, we're going to be talking about prayer, the topic of prayer. And then the way I thought would be best to go through this a little bit to cover kind of the um, the teaching part of today is to just to kind of a question and answer format really kind of quickly through a couple of things. And some of these might not be new to you. Some of these would be totally common sense, but hopefully we can glean a few things from this and then have some ways in which we could apply this for us as a Christian, if prayer is central to um, one of the central practices of the of the church, it should be the central practice for us, both privately and corporately. So a couple of question and answers. What is prayer? Well, it's simply this pouring out our hearts to God. Pouring our out our hearts to God. Actually, I think that that answer, the pouring out of our hearts to God, comes from um, one of our the New City Catechism questions on this. What is prayer? It's just pouring out our hearts to God, simply talking to the creator of the universe. Stop and think about that. What a profound thing. The creator of the universe desires us to communicate with him. It's personal communication with God. It's just offering up our desires to God in the name of Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit 
and usually is accompanied by confession of sins or prayers of thanksgiving and acknowledging his mercies, but it's pouring out our hearts to God and expressing to him our needs. That's what prayer is. Now, to whom should we pray? Now, this seems obvious given our previous answer, right? Seems obvious. Well, we pray to God and we pray only to God. We don't pray to saints or intermediaries or uh, angels or um, uh, spirits. We don't pray to any of those things. We don't uh, pray to any uh, um, saint who has deceased and moved on from us. We pray to, to God and him alone. Now, there's a little little caveat here because all of us would acknowledge that the one true God is a triune God, right? That we worship um, a, a God who is Trinity, a God who is three in one. There's one God who's, uh, in three persons, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. And so all are God, all are equally God. So then the question uh, is, and I've heard asked before, is it appropriate then to pray to God generically or do, can we pray to the individual persons of, of God? And I think that that's a, a fantastic uh, question. I think in, in principle, we would say, well, yes, of course. You can pray to each of the individual persons of the Trinity. As a matter of fact, you see this in the New Testament. You have a couple of examples uh, in the New Testament where people are offering up prayers uh, to Jesus. I think of uh, Stephen in his martyrdom in Acts 7 is is one example. Um, It's interesting to note that no prayers are addressed to the person of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Which kind of makes sense because as Jesus described the Holy Spirit's ministry, it's the Holy Spirit's ministry is to keep people pointing to, to Christ himself. And yet we have only a few prayers, few examples of prayer to Jesus himself. And so I think the answer is, well, you could pray to any of the persons of the Holy Spirit. And as a matter of fact, I, I do make that my uh, practice on occasion. I'll offer up prayers. To Jesus, I will address Jesus, or I will pray to the Holy Spirit. But I think the the typical pattern that you see in the New Testament is that prayer is made to the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. To the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. So again, prayer is a, a Trinitarian activity. It involves the fullness of the person of God, and you we, we would have our prayers to reflect that. And I'd say that's the typical pattern you see in the New Testament. But as I say, as I said, my, my habit on, on some occasions is that I sometimes do. I pray to Jesus, Lord Jesus, help. That's usually the prayer. Um, Lord Jesus, help. <laughs> uh, or Holy Spirit, give me power or strength. I usually make prayers that are specific to their unique uh, role in the, the Trinity. But I think the general pattern is to pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. I said through the Son. Usually we end our prayers with in Christ's name or in Jesus' name. So what does in praying in Christ or Jesus' name means? Why do we do it through Jesus? What does that mean? Well, that means... We do this prayer in obedience to Christ's command. 
command for us to pray. We do it confident in Christ's promises that God does hear and listen. And that we're doing this prayer for, for his sake and for his purpose. We do it through Jesus because, as 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2 says, that there is just one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. This, again, not denying the deity of Christ, but it's just emphasizing the humanity of Christ. That Christ plays this intermediate role between mankind and God by being fully God and fully man. And so we pray through Christ because he is our mediator. And because of our sin and our sinfulness, the separation between us and God is still so great. Jesus bridges that for us. You guys remember many of the teachings that we've done on the, the tabernacle on, or the temple, the holy of holy places that the high priest was, only the high priest was to go into and once a year. Well, the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is that true high priest. Love the imagery that that is conveyed by the writer of Hebrews there. It says Hebrews chapter four, since we have a great high priest. Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It's amazing truth there. And the implication for that he gives for us in the very next verse. What's the logical conclusion to this? That we have a great high priest who knows exactly what uh, we experience, all of our weaknesses, can totally sympathize with, with all of our struggles, was tempted as we are, yet, unlike us, did so without sin. Therefore... Let us then draw with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. What an encouraging word that is to us to pray. Come to God's throne because we have a mediator. We have a great high priest. So that's why we pray in Christ's name. So what's the role of the Holy Spirit in our prayers? Well, Romans 8, Paul says this about the Holy Spirit and about our prayers. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. So isn't this amazing? So we have, we have God, the one true God, our Father. And yet in Hebrews 4, we have somebody who is able to sympathize with our weakness. And therefore, it's through him that we can now come to the Father. Now we have the Holy Spirit's role in this. In our weakness, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts and knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saint. Uh, let me say that again. And he who searches hearts and knows what is the mind of the spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So see how prayer is really, this is a Trinitarian action that we get to participate in. We come to God 
through Jesus, as we sang, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And we do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those truths alone should be very motivating for us in our prayer life. For whom should we pray? Again, this seems like an obvious answer. The answer is everyone and anyone. The whole church of Christ on earth. We could pray for the local churches on earth. We could pray for leaders. We could pray for our nation's leaders, secular leaders, the scriptures encourage us in. To pray for ministers, to pray for ourselves, to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray for our neighbors who don't know Christ, to pray, as Jesus said, for our enemies. We pray for anyone. What rule has God given us for our direction in the duty of prayer? Well, the answer here is the whole word of God is useful for us in prayer. All of scriptures are given to us for which to pray. Several years ago, and I know many of you have this book, this little book by um, Donald Whitney, I believe is what it's called. I think it's called Praying the Bible. And there he encouraged us as us to, is if you're struggling with prayer and you're struggling with words to pray, to just recognize that God has given us words for us to pray in the Psalms. Many of the Psalms are, are songs to be sung, but they're also prayers to be prayed. I think that's a very good and useful tip. And he gives some encouragement how we could pray the scriptures. Take the very words of God and then take them that are given for us in our instruction and to turn them and make those the language that we use to express back to him. Maybe give some examples here, hopefully at the end. So the entire word of God is given for us for prayer. But I think throughout church history, it's been recognized that there's one particular part of God's word that is given for us in helping us in our prayer, and that is what's called the Lord's Prayer. So I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6 as we look at the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6 is, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. It covers Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And there he gives some instructions on some of the common practices, religious practices. One being fasting, which he covers at the end of the chapter. One being giving uh, of prayers or giving, excuse me, giving to the, to the needy. Gives some instructions there. And in the middle of it, verses 5 through 13, he gives some instruction on prayer. How is the Lord's prayer to be used? I think here's a couple of ways that we could use the Lord's uh, prayer. And if you would follow along as I, as I read verses five through 13. And when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door 
and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's one tip for us. Pray with sincerity. To pray with sincerity. Don't pray for show. Don't pray to be seen by others. My trip to, uh, to Israel several years ago, we were visiting an, an ancient city and they had kind of a demonstration there on the two main streets that most of the cities, ancient cities would be built on. There'd be main kind of thoroughfares that would make kind of a main intersection. And you can see examples of this from uh, dating to the Roman times. It's the stones that the Roman uh, crew would lay down and you could see these main intersections of the road and they had a demonstration uh, kind of like a little statue of what would be typical in those days. You would have the religious um, criers crying out on these street corners. So here I'm on this kind of massive street corner. And then they have this depiction of they would say, oh, this is this crier who would be crying out prayers and calling for people to come and worship at the temples. It would be parts down the street or whatever and stuff like that. And I was thinking when I saw this, I go, oh, this may be what Jesus is referring to. Those would stand on the literally stand on the main street corners in the street and crying out these prayers and doing with great fanfare so that they could be seen by others. Jesus says, um, no, don't do that. It's not saying you can't pray in public. Jesus prays in public. Jesus' disciples pray in public. He's not saying that when he says, don't go in your room. He says that, that all public prayers ruled out. No, he's saying, you know, uh, don't make a public spectacle of this. The emphasis is the private nature of it and the sincerity of it don't be hypocrites jesus says so pray with simplicity or sincere sincerity the second one is to pray with simplicity verses seven eight and when you pray do not heap up empty phrases as the gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him so pray with simplicity. Keep your prayers uh, short and sweet. It's a lesson I am still trying to, to learn. And this is interesting. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And yet, he still says, you should still ask. So pray with sincerity, pray with simplicity, and then pray with a strategy. And here I think you get the demonstration of this in the, the Lord's Prayer itself, the Lord's Prayer proper in verses 9 through 13. Jesus at the beginning of verse 9 says, then pray then like this. So Jesus gives a strategy or a plan for prayer uh, here in the following words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Lord has given us a prayer. He's given us a pattern for us to follow. A strategy for prayer. Now, I've seen uh, many different kind of breakdowns of this in, in many ways. Uh, maybe you've seen some of these too, kind of these acronyms that help us to kind of guide us in prayer. Maybe you're familiar with these. Maybe you've used some of these. Show of hands. How many of you use some of these in your devotional life, right? So very familiar. I think I've used all of them at various times 
in my Christian life. One is pray, P-R-A-Y. It represents praise, repent, ask, yield. Other is acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. This is the newest one I found a couple of years ago, which is prayers, which is basically the same as the first one, except it adds a few others. Praise, repent, ask, yield, express thanks, rejoice, and uh, shalom. Matthew Henry is given kind of a six-fold uh, division of this um, for us, too. Matthew Henry is, is an old Puritan, um, late 17th century, early 16th century. He's written a massive book called A Method of Prayer. And he breaks it down into those six. Adoration, confession, petition, thanksgiving, intercession, and conclusion. I think all of these are helpful in various ways. And I think all are attempting to do exactly what Jesus has done for us in the, in the Lord's Prayer. As a matter of fact, I think all of these are represented in the, the petitions of the Lord's Prayer that's given for us. I think it's a great and helpful pattern for all of us. So let me look through what's traditionally called the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And you can see some of these represented, uh, represented there. It's usually given with a the kind of a preface and then there's six petitions and then there's a conclusion. Here's the preface. Our Father in heaven. What does this teach us? Why does Jesus use this language of our Father? He did so in the previous verses. Your Father knows. He sees what's in secret and will reward you. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. So he says, pray like this. Our Father. I think it's to incite us to draw near to God with reverence and with confidence uh, in the same way that a child would come to their father. Ready to, uh, to help. Ready to listen. That's the, the first one. That's the preface. And this is kind of the address to God. And then here's the first petition. Hallowed be your name. And if you look at the footnote there, you can kind of see what this means, this old term hallowed. They give a couple of other options of what this means. Let your name be kept holy or let your name be treated with reverence. So what does this teach us? Well, it reminds us that we should ask God to enable us to glorify him in everything that we do. And here, this kind of fits the the praise or the adoration part. So first we, we address God and then we want to spend time praising him instead of jumping him to write into some thanks uh, or requests. We want to acknowledge God with who he is. See this in patterns all throughout the Bible, this acknowledgement and praise of God. Here's the second petition, your kingdom come. Well, what does that teach us? Well, I think it reminds us that we live in a, the kingdom of this world that has ruled by Satan and that Jesus came to destroy the works of, of the devil and that his kingdom is, though it's established here on earth, we're praying for his kingdom to become in fullness, that Satan's work gets thwarted. I think this third petition is, on, uh, is, a, is a, a petition about spiritual warfare. Look at the fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, Jesus says, now you move to asking for your requests. 
You asking God for the good things and good things in this life. And in doing so, you're reminding yourself that every single good and gracious gift that we get comes from God's hand. And that we enjoy that as a blessing from him. That's what this verse, this petition is teaching us. And this is where we can offer some intercession for others too. To not just pray for our daily bread, but for the needs of others. The fifth petition, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Here we confess our need for Christ. That we ask for forgiveness. That we remind ourselves that we are forgiven. And that in doing so, we... Um, are now motivated to forgive others. That's the fifth, fifth petition. Sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This one is to encourage us in our sanctification. We go moving on from being forgiven of our sins to now living in obedience to him. And then some have a conclusion here. Notice if you see your text note there, Mine says a little text note that says some of the early manuscripts add this phrase for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, what does that mean? There, there were some later manuscripts that have this in there, but all of the earlier ones don't have it. And so they reason that the original probably didn't have it, but they in, include that in there because some of the old, older translations who thought that was original have that in. But many of us in memorizing the Lord's Prayer, we probably memorize and there's nothing wrong for doing so. But it's a good way to end our prayer too. Those are the petitions that God gives for us and his, and his people. How are you doing in your prayer life? How are we doing as a church? My hope today is that looking at this prayer as a practice in the early church and the, the Lord's Prayer and specifically, that all of us individually would be more diligent in our prayer. So I'd like to give some tips and helps for us in doing so, in your handout, you should have had a couple of um, piece of paper. How many of you got the handout here? Yes? Did everyone receive this? I'd like to walk us through maybe how we can improve on this, this idea of prayer. And I think using either any of those other acronyms would be would be great and fine. So pray, praise, repent, ask, yield or acts that we begin with praise and adoration, that we usually confess our sins, that we give thanks to God. For. His forgiveness. And thanks for all of the good things that he has given us and that we do requests to him in prayer. So whether you use pray or acts or prayers or any of those other things, um, uh, I, any of those are, are fine. But here I give some helps for us to do um, for how we can improve 
in, in our prayer and using the scripture to guide us in our prayer. The, begin, the first side of this little handout here, you have a, a list of ways that we could address God in praise and adoration. There's a list there with a lot of different scripture references. So here's a, here's a practice that I like to do is I try to mix those up. Usually I pray to Heavenly Father. That's how I usually pray, kind of following along with the Lord's Prayer. But it'd be totally appropriate to address God with any number of these other ways of addressing him. Alpha and Omega. Almighty God. Creator, everlasting God. God, our healer, God, our provider, God, our peace, holy God, living God. These are all different terms that we could use. And I encourage you is as you're praying and as you begin your time in adoration or praise to God for who he is and what he has done or his attributes and his actions, that you would do so by focusing in on who he is first. The one I've been doing here lately is the rock, the rock of our salvation. And think of the imagery that's conveyed by that stability, safety, surety, confidence. And so I'll pray, Lord God, our rock. In whom we trust. On whom our feet are sure and steady. Get the idea? The picture. You focus in on an attribute or a name or title of of who God is and what he has done. To enrich in your prayer life by focusing in on the multiplicity of ways in which he is presented for us in the scriptures. And that's an address for God. We could say that's an address for God the Father. In terms of addressing Jesus, we got a list here too. Jesus, Christ, anointed one, bread of life, etc. So as we saw in our time of singing today, we focused in on, as we sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. We have down there Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, friend of sinners. So as we meditated on that today, Jesus being our friend. What did Jesus have to say about friendship? Jesus said, it's no better love than, no greater greater than love than a friend, somebody who would lay down his life for his friends. That's exactly what Jesus did. So then you incorporate that into your praise of Jesus too. I think you get the idea. Similarly, you get the idea for the addressing of the Holy Spirit. So here's my encouragement to you. As you're, as you're engaging and committing into this practice of prayer, will you begin by focusing in on the addressing of God and on his attributes and his actions? So begin your prayer by focusing in on God and his attributes and his actions. This next helpful encouragement that I give for you today would be on the latter part of this. These supplications, the requests, 
the, the presenting of our needs and requests to God. And that's on the back side of this handout. So here's my encouragement for you today, this week. My encouragement would be for you to pray. To regularly pray. To begin with praise and adoration and to expand your language that you use for who God is with the tips on the backside. And then as you go into interceding or presenting your request to God and praying for others in intercession, may I give you some helpful categories for you to think through. So, for instance, as you see here, for creation. So praying for our world. Praying for the world, the inhabited world. I'll be honest, sometimes I, I honestly, these, some of these topics never make it into my prayer life. I've been convicted of that and am seeking to remedy that myself. And so I encourage you in that as well too. There's wars going on in this world. There are believers all over this world. There are believers right now who are in war zones. And I don't think to pray for them. Similarly, there's hunger and disease and strife. International crises. I don't know what it is. I'll get up in the morning. I'll read the Bible. I'll pray. And then I'll uh, maybe later that day, check my social media stream and then be bombarded with a whole bunch of international crises. And it doesn't even dawn on me to pray. I give my political opinions about them. But why don't I pray? So encourage you and me for all of us to pray for these things, to pray for our nation, pray for our courts and judges, leaders, elections, pray for our military personnel who are overseas, apart from family serving our country, to pray for our local communities, to pray for the church at large, Christians all over the world and missionaries. And to pray for our local church, all the needs that we have here in our local church. Additionally, there's a whole list of uh, special needs or concerns that are given there. Praying for those who suffer from or those who minister to and care for those with uh, all of these special circumstances physical illness, mental illness, the elderly, the affirmed, suffering abuse, suffering addiction, mourning the death or a loss, imprisonment, to the lonely, the orphaned, the homeless, the victims of crime, facing temptation, single persons, engaged or newly married, those struggling with marital difficulties, those who are divorced or separated, to those for whom sexuality is a source of pain. Praying for those who are celebrating the birth of a child. Praying for those who are longing for children. For those who adopt or are adopted. Caring for young children. Caring for the elderly or needy. Praying for those who are starting school. Whether that's elementary school, high school, or graduate programs or postgraduate programs. Struggling with those who are struggling with peer pressure, those who are 
choosing a college or a career path are at a fork in the road. Those who are leaving home, those who are unemployed, those who are underemployed, those who work in business or medicine or agriculture or government or service industries, those who are beginning a new career, struggle in their work, seeking new or different jobs, the retired or anticipating retirement, those who travel, those who work in education, those who work in homeschooling, those who work in homemaking, those who have renewed their faith commitment or profession of faith in Christ, those who struggle with their faith, those who are persecuted for their faith, those who seek spiritual renewal, family members, friends who do not have faith, new members of the congregation, departing members of the congregation. And you could add to this list more and more. And when I saw this list and I started to make a checklist out of this list, I thought, how woeful and inadequate are my prayers and how much God wants us to bring to him. Friends, can we make this our resolution? Can we commit to praying at least once a day for all of these things? Back to our passage in Acts chapter 2. Verse 42, when it says the prayers, a lot of the commentators take that to mean what would be an Old Testament practice for there to be fixed and regular times of prayer throughout the day. And um, the, the Jewish prayers would have multiple times throughout the day. You could see evidence of this, both in David mentioning that I pray to you three times a day and Daniel praying three times a day, morning, noon and night. What would it be like if we were to engage in the prayers? Fixed times. Whether it's getting up early or staying up late or taking time in the middle of our day to have focused, have simple, sincere, and strategic prayers. Can I ask you to do that? I think if we look through this list of practices of the church, so far so good, I think, in terms of Redeemer. And I think one of the things maybe we can improve upon, and that starts with me, and that is the prayers, devoted to the prayers. Would you do that? I think of what happened in the church immediately following this. In Acts chapter 2, we have this description of the early church. In Acts chapter 4, we have a very similar description of the early church that we've read on previous weeks. Which begins in verse 32 through 37. It says, The full number of those who believed was one heart and one soul, we saw this a couple of weeks ago on this, the church being devoted to generosity and giving. But what's interesting is what happens immediately before that summary statement. John and Peter and John are arrested. They're brought before the religious council. They have been uh, liberated. They were released after being punished. They had faced great boldness in facing this religious council and being punished for it as they testified about who Jesus was. 
And they were released and they went back to their friends and they reported everything that had happened. And then notice you have a, a long extended prayer recorded for us. Luke wrote, writes, has recorded several of these prayers in Acts. And you could see a little bit of the pattern that would happen in these prayers. Prayer, adoration, thanksgiving, intercession, and those kinds of things. But let's read their prayer, beginning in verse 24, if you'd follow along. As Peter and John return back to the group of believers, and as they share what they did and said, it says, when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered, were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. Stop right there a little bit. Notice the addressing of him is sovereign Lord. That what has happened here is not a mistake. What they experienced was not a mistake. That this was all part of their plan, God's plan. Notice how they address him as the creator too. Who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in him. So the God who made everything looks at this punishing trial that they had to experience and they go, this is, this is God's doing. And then they say, and all of the hostility that we see, this is nothing new. People have always been hostile to you, God. Verse 27, for truly in this city, and this is still, this is the, still a prayer, by the way. For truly in this city, there are gathered together against you, Against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So basically, everyone was in on this against Jesus to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I love this verse. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Friends, may May we gather together in prayer like this. May we be as a spirit-filled, Christ-centered church should be devoted to prayers. And let's, with that, let's pray together to close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and this encouragement that we have from the very mouth of Jesus himself for us to pray to you. God, we acknowledge that you indeed are the sovereign Lord. 
and that everything that we would experience, both good and bad, um, hardship, and in times of rejoicing, that those all come from your hand. And yet, even in the midst of those things which come for, according to your purpose and for our good, God, may we turn to you as a natural response in prayer. God, we thank you that your word would speak to us and remind us of this. And now may we, as your people, in equal measure, pour out our hearts to you. May we, as we gather together as your church, make a main emphasis on speaking to you. God, I pray that as we go in our various home groups and in other studies or gatherings, that we not only make the word foremost in our time, but that we would make prayer our time. God, help us. Give us ways in which we can improve our prayer life. Help us to feel confident and overcome any awkwardness that we would have as we're praying with other people, that we would make it an impulse to just pray with simplicity and sincerity and following the pattern that your Son and our Lord has given us. God, make us a praying people for your praise and for our faith. It's in Christ's name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Friends, would you stand for closing benediction? And in your handout, you should see not only this little guide to help you with your prayers of address to God and topics of, of intercession. There's also some questions there for discussion and personal application. So if you're in a home group, uh, maybe you can make these uh, some questions of discussion as you gather together and discuss uh, discuss the sermon passage or use these just as your own personal reflection uh, time. But friends, may we may we be a people who prays. Reminder that our offering box is on the back table there. Um, if you have any questions, I'd love to to talk with you or if there's any prayer concerns, I would love to pray with you. Um, but as we now close with our closing benediction. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we share in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.